Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pushing the Limits. This week, I have Professor Marguerite Bisses from Otago University, who is an expert once again on the topic around vitamin C, coming in from it this week from a different perspective. Uh, I hope you're enjoying this series that I've been doing around vitamin C. Um, it's a, a passion project, obviously, because I lost my dad recently because I could not get him access to intravenous vitamin C for a case of sepsis. Um, and I'm very, very keen to get the, the research out there, the information out there from these leading researchers, scientists and doctors and share with you this information, whether you are dealing with things like cancer or whether you're dealing with things like pneumonia or sepsis, um, or even if you're just wanting to optimise your health, you need to understand the power that vitamin C has. And today, the interview with Professor uh, Marguerite Visses is just absolutely eye-opening, um, and I hope you enjoy the show. Before we go over, though, I just wanted to remind you to uh, check out our Running Hot Coaching. We've got our uh, running masterclass that we're holding every second Tuesday, New Zealand time at 12.30 uh, p.m. And this is a, a, a session that we're running every two weeks. If you're interested in finding out a little bit more, go to runninghotcoaching.com forward slash webinar. That's runninghotcoaching.com forward slash webinar. And if you've got any questions or you'd like to uh, have any topics talked about or you want to talk to me about something that you've heard on the show, then please email the podcast at support at lisatarmity.com. We love hearing from you. And if you've got any uh, questions about some of the topics, um, we'd love to, to hear from you. Uh, and just a reminder too that my new book, Relentless, is out and available in bookstores throughout New Zealand and also via my website at lisatarmity.com under the shop heading there. You'll find that book a really worth a read. We had a wonderful review this week in Trail Run Mag, so shout out to the team there. Um, that was really uh, made my heart warm because this book was a labour of love and it took me three years to to get it together and to write it and to publish it with a lot of help from a lot of people, including my good friend Kushla Young, shout out to you. Um, but this book was really to empower people to take control of their own health and to not sit back and let everybody else tell you what to do because if you do, you're liable not to get the optimum outcome. And that's what this show is about. It's about taking control of your own health, being informed, educating yourself and furthering your own knowledge. So I hope you do grab that book and enjoy it uh, and I hope you enjoy the show. If you do love the show, please give us a rating and review uh, on iTunes or Spotify or or any of the good podcast apps. We really do appreciate that. Um, it helps the show gets rating and reviews. Okay, now over to Professor Margaret Visses in Christchurch. Well, welcome everybody. Back to Pushing the Limits. This week I have Professor Margaret Visses with me who is sitting in Christchurch. Now, Professor Visses is, I'm just super excited. I'm a little bit nervous and um <laughs> so excited to be talking to you today, Margaret. So can you tell us firstly, Margaret, what 
uh, your background is a little bit of give us a little bit of context. Uh, you have a PhD done in free radical research and oxidant research, from from what I understand, and now you are uh, very much deep into vitamin C research. Can you give us a bit of your your background first? Okay, yeah, yeah, Morena, um, Lisa, it's lovely to um, chat with you. <laughs> um, we're um, well, I've I've trained originally as as a biochemist. So when I was at Waikato University, I had this lecturer who kind of got me excited about biochemistry, which was a new thing at the time. Um, um, and um, and so I, you know, continued. That's become my passion. Um, just understanding um, how things work in our bodies. So um, I became interested in white blood cells um, when I was doing my PhD. My PhD was on uh, white blood cells that fight infections. And something we know about white blood cells is that they they need a lot of vitamin C, they have a lot of vitamin C, and we never knew why. So all, all our white blood cells have a lot of vitamin C. So, so there was always this question of, uh, as to why do they need that? Um, and that kind of percolated away in the background while we were researching um, other things. And then I one day did, you know, these experiments where I, you know, added vitamin C in to kind of knock out any oxidant effects because it's a well-known antioxidant. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it had this remarkable effect on the cells that I was working with, where which was the complete opposite of what I had expected. And wow. you know, when this happens in the lab, you usually think, oh, put my samples around the wrong way, you know, I've got them yeah. back to front. And so, yeah. so instead of acting as an antioxidant, it seemed to be enabling cell death and which was like really paradoxical, and and so we did it again, and you know, same thing happened again. And not only was it a really strong effect, which antioxidants usually aren't; they're usually more graded. It was also a um, an on-off event. So if there was no vitamin C, it didn't happen, and if there was just a bit, it happened really well, and so. But we're looking for another activity. This is not an antioxidant activity. We're looking for a different kind of function. Mm-hmm. And so this was in about 2001. And at the same time, um, so that wasn't work with white blood cells that I was doing that, and that was a cancer work. And, um, and so around about the same time, uh, there was a discovery made overseas about this new class of enzymes that regulate hypoxia, so the yes. hypoxic response, the survival response, and that those enzymes uh, uh, require vitamin C to function. And I realised that what I'd, because I'd then gone on thinking if, you know, if it causes cells to die, maybe it does this in white blood cells because that's the one thing that we need our white blood cells to do, apart from kill bacteria. We then need them to die themselves off, yes, and yeah. to die tidily. Yeah, without <laughs> we need them to not DNA, devastate yeah. the tissues around. It's a yeah. very controlled process. And I thought maybe that's what vitamin C is doing in these cells. It's regulating the cell death pathway. Um, and so I did these experiments with white blood cells that didn't have any vitamin C and essentially showed that exactly to be true, that wow. 
if, if white blood cells were low in vitamin C, they did not go on to resolve this, you know, what would be the end of an infection. So, so they would end up eating they would, the they would end up, <clears throat> They would end up, so normally you'd have your white blood cells that kill the bacteria. They then destroy themselves in that process because, it, it, you know, it's an end point reaction and we need to clear those white cells. And so you need to clear them. They're full of all kinds of toxic things. Yep. And you need to clear them in a way that doesn't spill all that toxicity into the tissues. Yes. So other white blood cells come come along and eat those white blood cells. So they it's all it's like wrapping your garbage, you know. It, so, so this is um so this if is, they didn't have vitamin C that didn't happen. Right. And so the other white blood cells would come in, but they basically couldn't see those other cells around them. And so and then, then you'd get the cell death and cell leakage. And I thought, ah, you know, so scurvy. There's all so, kinds of things that wow. happen when so you're low is, in vitamin C. And so this, I, and then I realized also that actually this factor that controls this process is also the thing that allows cancer cells to grow. And wow. And so, I, so this is a normal response in our cells, and we need it for survival. You know, so our everyday survival is dependent on this process working well. Cancer cells hijack the system to enable them to survive, and so that means that it allows them to grow outside of an oxygen supply to make new blood vessels to create a different energy source, so they can live on sugar instead of in, in, instead of you know, more yep. complex um, energy. <clears throat> um, it enables them to evade chemotherapy. It enables them to undergo metastasis. <laughs> All wow. of these things that cancers do to to promote their survival is is mediated by this response. And I thought, and right at the centre of this is a vitamin C off switch. Called that. So that's so. Can we just back up just a, a, a tad there? So I've listened to a lecture by Dr. Barry Fowler that we mentioned earlier, um, talking about nets, neutrophil extracellular traps. Yes. So is that what we're talking about here? So the neutrophils are coming along, eating the the bugs. So that's a, that's a, that's a variation on that theme. Okay. So um, so yes, neutrophils are astounding cells, and so their function is to kill bacteria. Mm -hmm. The primary way that they do that, so they are attracted to any place where there's an infection. The primary way that, that they act is to, first of all, eat the bacterium so that one neutrophil can swallow hundreds of bacteria mm -hmm. and 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 then inside that pocket inside themselves, they pour onto those bugs within minutes toxic enzymes and oxidants, including chlorine bleach, wow. that kills the bug. So what they also do is they um, they can eject from the, from themselves from the cell. They can eject their DNA. Yes. That's so they, they can kind of melt the, the nucleus inside the cell where the DNA is packaged. They can unpackage that, and then they can eject that from the cells, right? and, it, and that's what we call a net. And that 
And that net is coated with some of those microbicidal proteins. Yes. So DNA is, is, you will have seen pictures of it. It's a really sticky, long like molecule, you know. Yeah. Yep. And so, and so it, it can basically go a long way and it doesn't degrade very easily. So, so your body doesn't have a lot of DNAs floating around that can chew up DNA. So these traps can sit there and they trap the back, they literally physically trap the bacteria onto the site of the infection. So that can basically help localize that infection so right. that it's not traveling to other parts of the body. So but does that then cause things like if you if this infection was say in the lungs, you'd get whiteout and that's the whiteout actually what you're no, seeing the on the whiteout, The whiteout in the lungs is is either lots of neutrophils, just a lot of neutrophils or a lot of fluid. Where with where we're seeing uh, neutrophil nets or the or the mm-hmm. traps in in the lungs is in COVID patients. Uh-huh. So oh, so wow. there are these peculiar things going on in in the lungs of COVID patients where they're seeing quite localized a dense whiteout, you know, so not the kind of diffuse whiteout that you see in um, in a pneumonia lung. Uh-huh. You know, um, someone with respiratory distress, but very localized pockets, and it we think it's looking like you know as all this information is unfolding, pretty much as we speak, it, it looks like like neutrophil nets are central to that process that enhances that cytokine storm yes. um, in, in um, COVID patients who end up with severe disease. So, um, yeah, so currently, yeah, the literature's jumping with... Yeah. Um, <laughs> with vitamin C with, and what well, can be helpful or not well, in the COVID scenario? No one knows no, yet. No, it's not jumping with vitamin C and COVID. Um, <laughs> uh the Chinese, um, interestingly, um, you know, have published protocols for how to handle COVID patients, and they have they recommend as soon as a patient comes into um, into the hospital, should be giving them intravenous vitamin C. Wow. Um, to keep them out of ICU. Wow. Um, and or as soon as they get into ICU to prevent them progressing, and they, their protocols. They've got very careful protocols about it, actually. Their, their protocols um, say that it helps. Yeah. So this is definitely a helpful step. Um, the, we haven't taken that up, the rest of the world, um, despite some people advocating for it. So yeah, Why why would that be? Is it like because... <laughs> <That's a very laughs> we, uh, we don't want to go into a political argument here. That's a very good here. question that... that <laughs> That's a very good question, and 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 I, you know, they're really, you know, I struggle with answering that question. Yeah. We come we come up against it all the time. Yeah, and, um, you know that people will give you know vitamin D before mm-hmm. they give vitamin C, even though even though people have been sh- you know we've shown that these patients that patients who are really ill have low vitamin C levels yeah. unless you give them more. So, so the sicker we get, 
the more vitamin C, and I've seen some of your lectures where you've shown uh, graphs of people coming into hospital and their, their levels of, of plasma vitamin C are very low compared to the general yeah. well population. Yeah. And I know uh, from other research that I've done too, you know, like in the case of like my father's with sepsis, um, he would have been probably at the level of scurvy. I can't show that because I couldn't mm. test for it. Um, and would have been needing massive dosages of, of vitamin C. So the sicker we are, so this is what's funny, people, is that animals produce their own vitamin C. The goat is the, the, the king of vitamin C making, I believe, from um, Linus Pauling's work. And he can, the, the goat can produce up to 70 grams a day of, of vitamin C. We don't. It's uh um yeah it's it's it, it's uh, all all animals all animals bar a few mm-hmm. um make their own vitamin C in in the liver when some animals in the kidneys um there's a few miscellaneous animals including all primates of which we're one so mm-hmm. all you know, chimpanzees and gorillas and um and monkeys and and us. Um, who way back, you know, lost the gene to make it. And so we're dependent on eating it. Guinea pigs are similar and fruit bats are the other most common species. So, so we're, we're dependent on, on eating it for our supply. Now, all animals that make their own make it according to demand. So they keep their they keep their blood levels saturated, no matter what. Yeah. So if they get sick, and and their and their body's starting to consume more, their liver makes more, and so they just they just keep themselves saturated, and they can increase production up to a hundred times in wow. order to maintain that level. So we can't do that. So we can only, we're totally dependent on what we put in our mouth. Um, and so if we're, once we get sick uh, and our body's consuming more, if we're not compensating for that, then our body levels will decline. So yeah. it's totally about supply and demand, you know. So when you're normally well, your body's just ticking over a little bit, a good diet is good to keep you optimal yep. under those circumstances. You get a cold, you're consuming a little bit more. Now, most people, when they get a cold, they'll run off and get some citrus or something because mm-hmm. that's what they feel like eating there naturally. Yep. Um, if you get a flu, that that demand even goes more. up even yep. more. If you get If you get pneumonia, it goes up even more. And so the sicker you are, the more you need the more vitamin C your body's consuming. Not all not all some illnesses are more oxidative than others, so so all. But any infection is, you know, like the minute you ramp that up, and that can be like a local infection, it can be a burns infection, it can be, you know, so it doesn't have to be like a whole body infection. We just recently did a, are doing a study with people with chronic wounds, uh-huh. um, like leg ulcers and things, and most of those people have low vitamin C status. Wow. Um, and that, you know, won't be helping their wound healing. No. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, as soon as your body has a has a demand put on it, 
Vitamin C is a very labile molecule, so it's very easily lost. <clears throat> and if you're not putting in more supply, then um, your body level is going to drop. So, and then we're also limited, aren't we, um, with um, the oral administration of, of vitamin C. We can Our bowels can only tolerate, you know, before we get diarrhea or something like that. Yeah. Um, so if we up our intake to the levels that we might need if we were severely ill, um, yeah. we would probably, we wouldn't get our, because our, our plasma levels only go to 100 micromolar from what I understand. We can't actually get higher than that from oral dosing. No, well, um, on, only only a little bit transiently. So, so if you were to take a one gram tablet, your plasma level would go up to above a hundred um, for a little while. So maybe it might get up to one hundred and fifty. Um, but your kidneys will clear that. Mm-hmm. And so, I always I kind of give the analogy of a dry sponge. So. If you imagine that you're pouring water on a dry sponge, so if your body is, if your blood is only the delivery mechanism, so vitamin C has got to get from your blood into all the cells. If your blood levels are low, your tissue levels will be low. So that's a dry sponge. So if you pour more vitamin C onto that, it'll go into your circulation, but as soon as it's in the blood supply, it'll be sucked out into those tissues. So your kidneys will never see that above 100 micromole. Mm-hmm. Once your tissues are saturated, so the whole sponge is wet, if you like, if you pour more on and then your, tish- and then your blood supply goes up over 100, stays over 100 because your tissues are not taking up any more than they need, then when you- there's a filter in the kidneys that, that regulates that all, all the vitamin C passes out and then it's like, how much is in the bloodstream? Do I need any more? And then I'll take it back up. So it gets taken back up or not. And if it's and not, so if, it's your body's, if your body's got enough, then no more will be taken up and it'll end up down the toilet, um, which is fine. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to hurt you. But <laughs> if, if so, then intravenous, uh, intravenous vitamin C has a different mechanism, though, isn't it? We can we can get the micromolars up quite high. Yes, yes. Um, Intravenous delivery is um, is like fast express delivery, mm-hmm. and so it's to be what well, can do two things. We think it can be useful un- under two circumstances. So normally for your day to day health. Oral intake is is ample. Um, if if you are really ill, like people in ICU, um, or who or people or people with severe pneumonia, who's who are turning over vitamin C at a great rate, it's really hard to get. Like you might need to give those people seven or eight grams of vitamin C a day mm-hmm. in order to. Restore their plasma level to close to normal. So it's hard to give that amount of oral intake to people who are who are that sick. Um, And so, under those circumstances, the easiest thing to do is just to inject that, and that's what we call an infusion. So then you bypass the gut; you can just infuse it straight into the circulation. 
And the rate of infusion determines that that plasma level will, will be very high for a very short time. Then it will go out into the body where it needs to be and any excess will pass out in the, in the urine. So after about eight or nine hours, you're back to normal. Yeah. Um, but your tissues, your sponge is wet, right? Yeah, so that they are what they need, and that and the 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 vitamin C that's actually in the cell will stay around longer. Then won't it do its actual job if it's in the macrophage or the neutrophil or the? It's doing its job. That's right. That's right. So those cells that had become depleted are now have a a function restored, and and what we've discovered is it's not just one function anymore so in the last 10 years vitamin c has been shown to be involved in supporting so initially there are everyone everyone will know about walk into any chemist and and they'll and and you'll see vitamin c creams for sale you know cosmetics and yeah rub it on your face or whatever you know yeah but because we all believe that vitamin c is good for our skin and um, and it is good for your skin, actually. It's really good for your skin. Good but it's good for your skin if you eat it, yes. not if you rub it on. So <laughs> it doesn't actually get into your skin when you rub it on. Right. But, um, Don't waste your money but, on the expensive but, but, but we know, that, that's right, <laughs> we know that it makes um, collagen, you see. So, so the enzyme that makes collagen that needs vitamin C to work was the first member of a family of about... At the moment, there's about 60 members of this family. Uh-huh. So, and apart from making collagen, they do all kinds of other things. So, uh-huh. you know, so including regulate all of our gene expression. So, what? Wow, what, what we what we've discovered is that it's like really important um, to support enzymes that that determine how your cell function changes, you know. So as, uh, as so well as... reads the, the DNA, so to speak. So this, this yeah, enzyme, one of these enzymes... Well, these enzymes, these enzymes apply or remove marks from the DNA that say read this gene or don't read this gene. Gotcha. And that's yep. changing all the time um, as, as our cells respond to different stresses and different scenarios and go through different growth phases. Mm-hmm. So and vitamin C <laughs> turns out turns out is absolutely critical for that process to be wow. working well. Wow. And so you know so if, if So this could like, affect everything in the body pretty yes. much. Like every yep. single cell of yep. every single body. Yeah. <laughs> to greater and, and, and lesser extents. Yeah. And so, you know, that's at, that's at the most fundamental level. It seems that that process is actually quite extraordinarily sensitive to changes in vitamin C. Wow. So, it, you know, it's, I kind of make the analogy, you know, about, um, you know, a car running, you know, when running on three cylinders or two cylinders instead of four cylinders, yeah, you, know, you can still get it to go along the road, but um, you know, you know, you're not getting the best ride. Not, not the best you know, that, out of your motor. That, 
that, <laughs> that, that you might get. And so, you know, it is, we're discovering so many things, so many fundamental processes that require vitamin C to work optimally. And also that they are responsive to small changes, relatively small changes in vitamin C status. So there are mood enhancing enzymes that, you know, do, do the same thing. We've just published a study with students from Otago mm-hmm. um, who are all extremely well, probably one of the wellest populations we've ever studied, but they don't eat well. <laughs> so um, when we gave them like two kiwi fruit a day and just brought their vitamin C levels up, they felt well. Wow. <laughs> and they're already well. <laughs> yeah. Measurably they're well. already healthy. They don't have measurably well. So so and, you know, so they were, you know, and even not, you know, at the extremes of deficiency. So it's like, you know, you can we should be where animals are, you know, and optimal, you know, all all the time. Saturated the, all the time. The dialogue around vitamin C for for decades and decades was about avoiding deficiency. Rather so the only thing that, that that became a problem was when you had scurvy and were dying and anything else was fine. And so what we're discovering now is that That's anything not else is not fine. Um, you need to be the best you can be in order to avoid all kinds of scenarios. So, you know, it's... So it's about probably the most of all of all the vitamins that 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 we well actually vitamin B six has a very fundamental role yep. as well but but it probably the most diverse in its action of all the vitamins so it's doing many things in many places that affect an awful lot of functions. So we're talking like inflammation, wound healing, infectious uh, states um, in, in controlling infection. We're talking about skin, collagen production, yeah. neuro, um, has it got neuro effects on some mood and behaviour? Um, oh, no, ab- absolutely, absolutely. Our brain is loaded with vitamin C. Well, yeah. it is one of the biggest users of the vitamin it's C. One of, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's, you know, it's our brain is very hungry for vitamin C. So it's there for many reasons, including the support of um, molecules like serotonin, which is like your feel-good mood, yeah. Um, pr- the production of other hormones that are, um, that, you know, regulate wow. mood reproduction. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Like, it so this goes, mm. goes on and on. Yeah, my mind um, just goes, wow, you, you know, this could help with, you yeah. know, things like brain injuries, which I'm heavily into helping. Yes. Um, yeah, that could well, be yes. an extra. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and, and like our RDA is one of the lowest in the world, isn't it? At yes. 45, I think, milligrams or yeah. something ridiculous. That is not okay. We, why no. can't we get this changed? You know, like well, we need yes, two hundred yeah. to five hundred at least, don't we? Yeah, there is Optimal. there is a recommendation by the um by from the health from the Ministry of Health that two hundred milligrams a day is the recommended target for wellness. Um, but RDAs are, are a confusing measure because they're actually the number at which ninety percent of people will avoid deficiency. <laughs> 
So which is like right at the bottom, you know, what do we need in order to not die, basically? Yes. And so that message gets a little bit confused with this is how much we need total. Yep. Um, And so 45 milligrams a day is most countries around the world have upped their limit, at least least doubled that or most are around 100. Which is still Um, extreme, though. As a minimum. But um, it is one of our aims to um, get the New Zealand RDA um, lifted. Revised. It's, yeah. So I remember seeing one of your, your um, charts, and I think it was work by uh, Dr. Levine or um, Mark yes. Levine, yeah. um, showing, you know, the, the rates from, you know, the 45 milligram type thing up to 2.5 grams a day. Yeah. And it, it was a steep curve between... Yes well, 50 milligrams yeah. in 500, where you get a huge benefit. And then even yeah. if you wanted to optimise, you could go even up to yeah. two and a half. And, of course, then if you have, I don't know, some horrible disease or you have a lot of stress or you have cognitive issues or you have sepsis or you have pneumonia, then you may need like up to I don't know how many times. And that's the, that yeah. is one of the questions, isn't it, that you were trying to elucidate is like yeah. well, what are the dosages that we need? That's right. We're in That's deep, right. Deep and trouble. I think I think where we're um where we're hoping to head is um is instead of um uh setting a whole new RDA for everything, is to have um a recommended intake for different conditions. So Absolutely. So that so that you so that you'd know that you know if you are if you are if you do have a medical challenge of some sort you know so you know you've just yeah I mean they they use vitamin C infusions for burns patients yes because we know that you know burns patients you know chew through vitamin C so that kind of massive inflammatory response um, you know does um, require your body you know, to be given to be given a lot more vitamin C. So, so there is you know, like a recommended you know intake for burns patients. Well, if we knew that when you have the flu, you know, here's your recommended intake for when you have the flu, <laughs> or, yep. or you know, if you have you know if you have issues with you know this or that, you know, you should Heart be taking this or, amount. So, yep. which I think might be easier for people to get their head around than just one level because we think that if we set a daily intake aimed at, you know, alleviating illness, then that's normally not that achievable through our daily diet. Yeah. And so you can't set an unachievable target for people to take vitamin C that they can't get from their diet. Okay. Yeah, because so, supplementation isn't. So, you know, so we're, we always recommend food first. Yep. And that is, um, you know, so 200 milligrams a day is what you would get if you did as you were told an 8.5 plus. Of the right things, like kiwi fruit, capsicum. Well, you know, one of, you know, just one of those things, one of those five, if one of those five is a high vitamin C food, then you'll be fine. You're in the range. So um, (laughs) easily. So, you know, one kiwi fruit or, you know, some capsicum or, you know, a good amount of broccoli or, you know, just if you can mix it up and have, you know, but if you were eating 
you know, a good range of fresh fruit and vegetables, you would be there, you know. Yeah. But if you were eating just bananas or something that has a, that is on the five a day but isn't yeah. high on the vitamin C levels, you won't be meet, meeting those yeah. recommendations. So we yeah. need to get a little bit more specific. Okay. Yeah. So, um, all right, I want to go now into the cancer story because right. um, I know like in the 1970s, yeah. Linus Pauling, who was a brilliant man, double Nobel Prize winning scientist, sort of jumped in two feet first, if you like, um, with cancer, <laughs> uh, his studies that he did with cancer and vitamin C mm-hmm. and, and um, uh, extended the lives of these cancer patients that he was dealing with uh, four times as long. Um, but he, he, sort of, he sort of started a, a storm, if you like, of controversy because back then there was no mechanism of action that was understood is it how could this be happening and from there it was sort of you know plucked out of the air where is this vitamin c thing you've and and your colleagues um around the world have now sort of elucidated some of the mechanisms of action and actually given some validity to what uh linus pauling was saying and later um uh researchers so now, if we go into the cancer story, there's still, I mean, I've lost two friends this week to cancer. Um, I'm, you know, we, we desperately need this research to be complete, completed or, or, or furthered fast. So if there's any wealthy people sitting out there, if you want to support <laughs> uh, this sort of research and what uh, is absolutely essential because we're losing people left, right, and centre to yeah. these horrible diseases like cancer, like sepsis, um, that have we know that they're going to be beneficial. But you've actually discovered so the HIF. I wanted to talk about the HIF protein, mm. the HIF one protein. Yeah, yeah, that's the protein that I was mentioning. That's yes also, earlier when that's I the one that's also um, active in the white blood cells. Yes. So. Can you explain what? the HIF protein does in regards to tumour growth and why vitamin C is so important in, in right. regards to that. Right, okay. Um, so so HIF, is, that's an acronym for hypoxia-inducible factor. So scientists are great at giving meaningless acronyms to meaningless terms. So it's a protein it's a it's what we call a transcription factor protein. So it's a protein that that travels to the DNA and switches genes on and off. So it's a, a regular. It's a, these are master regulation proteins in in these families of transcription factors. So HIF is a major transcription factor that is present in all our cells all the time. Its role is to respond to low levels of oxygen. And so if for some reason our oxygen supply is cut off, you know, like, for example, if you had a tourniquet applied, you know, to a part of the, and, and you cut off your blood supply, those cells in that tissue would get hypoxic. Yes. And we need that not to die off. Mm. You know, we need that to survive, yeah. that tissue, so that when you restore the blood supply that everything's actually fine. That's the normal function of the HIF protein. Wow, okay. Under yeah. conditions of low oxygen, mm-hmm. to switch on a survival response. It also does that 
if, you know, it has a lot of responses to basically regulate oxygen around your body. So it will, in, in areas where there are poor blood vessels, it will regenerate new blood vessel formation. Wow. And, and so that, you know, it, you can't live without this protein. So, you know, we can't generate an animal that doesn't have it, doesn't survive beyond birth. So, so this process is hijacked by cancer cells. So if you imagine, you know, you will have seen pictures of a growing tumour starts off as a few cells. When that tumour, when that little clump of cells gets to be two millimetres mm-hmm. across, it's very small, if it doesn't have its own blood supply, then no oxygen will get to them, will get to the centre cells, and they'll die. Mm-hmm. And that two-millimetre tumour will die off. Mm-hmm. So, But what happens when those cells run out of oxygen is they switch on this HIF protein. Uh-huh. And so when that's switched on, those cancer cells now say, aha, uh-huh, I can make survive. myself some new blood vessels. They grow. And it does that, makes new blood vessels, can grow bigger. Wow. And when as it grows bigger, every time it starts to run out of oxygen in the centre, it makes new blood vessels. And so the tumour can grow and grow and grow. Wow. As well as as well as switching on that that formation of new blood vessels, it also turns those cancer cells into, oh, you know, if I'm not getting enough oxygen i need to get my energy from sugar now i can't use our oxidative mechanism of energy creation so they become glycolytic so they they start to depend on sugar for energy and we know that this is a property of 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 tumors is that they're totally switched onto that and when they get switched onto that they stay on that and so then they're able to become then they become acidic and they get all of these properties that cancer cells have and it's all switched on initially by this HIF protein right and so the more the more HIF is expressed in your cancer cells the worse off the the better off the cancer is and the worse off the patient is so so there's a huge effort being put in to trying to switch HIF off in cancer cells. Unfortunately, switching it off is not as easy as switching it on. (laughs) And because it's switched off by a mechanism, you have to turn on. (laughs) And so the turning on of that mechanism requires either supplying off, that's these enzymes. The switching off of, of HIF is done by these enzymes that need vitamin C. Right. So when you supply vitamin C, you're then supplying energy to the off switch. And the off switch will dampen down that HIF response. So that means it doesn't come on as easily. It's, you know, much harder to get it going. Much harder to get it going. And the HIF is ramped down in the cancer, and the cancer will grow more slowly. So that's one mechanism that we have now very good evidence for um, indicating that um, that that giving vitamin C to cancer cells slow tumor growth is a really good idea so this um, 
um, I saw one of the another one of the charts with the mouse model that you had on the tumor growth showing the 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 ones who had the vitamin C the tumor growth was much slower than yeah. the ones who didn't so that was because the hip was yes. switched and you know in effect switched off by the vitamin C. Yeah. Can you homework, Lisa? I have. I'm excited about this research. I really am because it's going to save lives, and this is the whole point of the the call. And, and I know this conversation gets a little bit scientific, but hang in there with us, people, because this stuff's really important for life. Um, so, can this prevent? Cancer. So if I'm if I'm like I want to be prophylactic, I want to be like I don't want I've got cancer perhaps genetically in the family and I've got a higher risk. Um, can I take higher dosages of vitamin C with the hope of keeping that hip from ever being switched on? Would that well, I mean? Well, we, that well, we know, well, well, we know that that having you know having optimal vitamin C makes it harder to switch that hip on. Great. So we, the other thing we know, it's very hard to prove any kind of preventative um, action because yeah. you need to have huge studies, you know, to, to do that with, you know, thousands of people. Right. Those studies that, there, there's a lot of epidemiological work out there that has looked at people's vitamin C status and their susceptibility to different cancers. And so, but that can, many factors can play a part in that. And we don't know whether that's just the hip or whether that's a boost in your immune surveillance or, you know, whatever functions um, there may be. But many cancer rates are significantly decreased by up to half for a number of cancers if your vitamin C status is is good rather than bad. Wow. Um, sort, of, sort of being over the 50 micromolar level yeah, type yeah. thing. So that if you're, to. you know, people who are at, you know, at, at that keep themselves or at, Pretty at well. optimal level have lower incidences of many diseases, actually, yeah. um, and they live longer and, you know, just yeah, the, all measures of well-being um, wow. are improved. But they, um, they, they also have much lower um, cancer rates. Wow, and so that's a that's a reason. Even if we don't have the whole answer yet for dosages and so on, would be to keep your vitamin C levels at their optimum, not yeah. at their minimum, your entire life, if that's possible. Um, we, you mentioned before that there is a technology that's perhaps underway that will be able to just with a fingerprint, uh, a, a, a prick of blood, be able to tell us what that our levels are. That, that would be, be amazing. I want one of those. <laughs> and we all want one of them. On, on, on exactly where we are. You know, I, think your you doctor, know. I think your doctor's surgery wants one of those. Yes, they definitely do, uh, especially my one. Because um, that would be just gold. I mean, um, you know, in a situation like with my dad at the hospital, I couldn't get a vitamin C test to prove that he had a nutrient deficiency. And so, therefore, I couldn't treat the nutrient deficiency because they couldn't do the test. Yeah, it's very difficult. It's a very um, it's not an easy test to do, and 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 so a lot of standard labs don't don't do it, um, you know, regularly. So you've got to be fussy with the blood sample, and right. that's often a challenge in a clinical setting. 
Crikey. I hope that they do manage to um, to do this because this would be very mm. beneficial for everybody's health because it's everything from heart disease to, as we mentioned, yeah. collagen to having good skin yeah. to, you know, all of, all of these sorts of things. But we would be well advised to make sure that we are getting um, our optimal vitamin C dose is there a danger, you know, like I, um, you know, be completely upfront. I have an intravenous vitamin C once a week at the moment, and my mum's on that for once a week. Um, I won't be able to keep that up for forever. Um, I'm also, you know, taking oral vitamin C uh, as well. Um, between, I usually take between two and four grams a day. Um, and I'm not, not saying that I recommend that for anybody, but that's um, just what I'm doing. Um, because I want to, there, there is no toxicity with with vitamin C, is there? There's no there's no risk. I mean, um, I might have expensive wee, but that's you might, yeah. Well, well, um, no known toxic dose um, has has ever been has ever been identified, um, provided with provided you have good kidney function. Mm-hmm. So you do need to be able to clear it. Um, if you can't clear it, you know, or if you're dehydrated and you're not producing any urine, you need to be able to clear it because it will oxidize in your body. Yeah. And when it does, those oxidation products uh, need to be cleared out. And so, um, you know, it is um, that that that's the waiver. That's a so, so your body, you know, your body clears it to a hundred micromolar. For a reason, yeah, um, because you don't, you know, you don't actually want to have, you know, massive amounts running around all the time. And providing your tissues are saturated, any additional excess that you put in is not going anywhere. So yeah, just going out. So, so I had um, Dr. Ron Huntinghack here on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Now he's a um, a doctor from the Reardon Institute. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know the Reardon Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said he's he's overseen personally as a doctor um, over two hundred thousand um, IV vitamin C sessions, if you like. Um, and I said to him, "Well, you know, one of the arguments that I faced with doctors with my dad was that um, it could damage his kidneys." Um, apart from the fact that being dead damages your kidneys too, uh, which was my argument back, um, um, they said that kidney stones could be an issue um, and that that was one of the problems. Now, Dr. Hanihake, I posed that question to him and he said in his 200,000 IVs, he'd had three kidney uh, stone, uh, people with kidney stones, but they all had them previously um, Mm. and he doesn't, think there is again he hasn't done the clinical studies but he doesn't think that there is a, a huge risk um for kidney stone formation um that is also dependent on the calcium being in the in the kidneys um from mm. what i understand um so th- that is one of the arguments that is that's right it yeah is, because it, it does is, become an it's the thing it's the thing you will hear um yeah thrown at you as, as, as the first as the first reason why you wouldn't want um to take vitamin c and you know i think we are trying to um it is important that that, that you can clear it you know so um so you do need and and i think for rather than it causing kidney injury you don't you know you need a functioning kidney you need functioning kidneys to clear it 
Yeah. Um, otherwise, you will end up with problems. But provide, you know, anyone who's given an infusion is usually tested or checked for that. Yeah. Um, but um, or in a case like with dads, you know, like there wasn't any option. So like. Um, you know, it was that or nothing, you know, it wasn't well, going to survive. Well, the other thing too is you only need to, you know, clear, um, you only need, you know, as long as you're making urine, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. And it can help if, with that. And if your body is, um, is, you know, completely deficient, it is something that you need to lift. So, yeah. So, you, so would, you know, it's a little bit, you know, I do say to people, you know, well, and, you know, if if our patients are dehydrated, um, we give them a drink, right? Mm. Yeah, so, because you know we give them fluids. You know, if they're dehydrated, we give them fluids. So if your body's missing something that it's supposed to have to function, um, should give them some. Yeah, and, and it would yeah. be a simple thing, so especially if we can test it. <laughs> it's <laughs> not. It's not. You know, it's not a big deal really um to give them some i think the cancer story is um is a little more complex than that yeah because what we think with the solid tumors is that because any any amount of oral vitamin c has not been shown to benefit um solid tumors particularly and and what our hypothesis was um, is that <clears throat> if you give intravenous vitamin C, you you achieve a higher level in the plasma. So you're basically trying to get the vitamin C to the place where the vasculature is poor, which is that hypoxic center of the tumor. Uh-huh. Where the oxygen can't get to because the blood vessels are poor. Vitamin C can't get there either. And you need both to get there. So to kill the, the tumor, to, basically, to, or to, to switch that hif off, off in in that place. So, so we think that if you give infusions, then that increased dose actually gets to that core of the tumor. And this is where. But, so this is where an infusion is an advantage over, over oral dosing. This is where Linus Pauling got into. You know where where he got into strife there and he was giving intravenous doses he maintained that they had an, an, an additional benefit the local or the, the clinicians at the time didn't believe that and they repeated his experiments with, with oral dosing and found and found it to have no effect and so he didn't you know at that time we didn't know about HIF and he didn't you know so he was arguing, you know, back and forth, and so it just became a bun fight, actually. And yeah, um, it's with, so sad. <laughs> with no, um, with no resolution and a lot of acrimony, and um, never did the cause any good, um, or him or the clinicians either, and certainly not the patients. This is such a shame, really, because so, he went on to um, something. So you know, so so the kind of tone was set. Um, at at that time, and and it's you know taking a long time to unpick that conversation. I think now you know now we have not only the HIF mechanism, but we have these epigenetic or the genetic regulatory enzymes that are also involved in many cancers. And in fact, 
in a number of cancers, those enzymes are the mutated enzyme. They're the, they're the enzyme that a mutation in those enzymes will drive the cancer. It's very common in hematological cancers, common in some glioblastomas, so brain cancers, mm-hmm. um, and bowel cancer. Um, so, so there are two mechanisms whereby vitamin C might work. Um, and so we've just recently shown um, with um, myeloid leukemia that um, if you have a mutation in that enzyme, um, then and you give additional vitamin C to those cancer cells, then so if you have a mutation, you have two copies of of every enzyme. Yep. If you take oh, yeah. one out, Jeez. you've got 50% yeah. left. Yep. That 50% is trying to do the job of the 100%. Yeah, yeah. And isn't able to. So if that enzyme, that last 50% needs vitamin C, you give it a vitamin C boost, you're then upping its level. You can upregulate it. And it, we think it, it's now restoring normal function to those cells. We then stop behaving like cancer cells. And actually... And and, you, just, and just behave like normal cells. And so this is this would be, you know, a great treatment adjunct, you know, for hematological cancers. Yeah. For hematological cancers because you now have you now have cells that would respond normally rather than be these aberrant you know, crazy cells. I know that you had a a case, so I won't mention the name in case it's not okay, but I know that you... No, it is okay. It is okay to mention the name. Okay. Because um, Anton's family have actually asked me to mention his name. Okay. So, yes, I heard um, about Anton Correa's, you know, journey with leukaemia and how he had intravenous vitamin C um, and that put him into remission, um, yeah. and he unfortunately lapsed later on. And, and if you you know pick up the story there, but you you got a tissue analysis, or, or you you managed to get some tissue when he re- relapsed later on, and yeah. that the, the the two enzymes, the T T two, is it, the, and the W? The yeah, yeah, the T. Um, so that's one of these enzymes, and. Um, and um, Anton, um, yeah, so Anton is the case that we've learned a lot from. Wow. Um, and he very generously, when he relapsed, so he'd had this, he'd had this turnaround, you know, like like a miracle response to vitamin C. Mm-hmm. And um, which, you know, which really piqued our interest um, at the time we didn't know about the TET enzymes and I, you know, almost put my money on that and thought, you know, he, you know, wouldn't surprise me if he had one of these mutations, but, mm-hmm. but he was in complete remission for two and a half years. Yep. And um, while he maintained a vitamin C regime, so he was taking it, continued with the intravenous vitamin C at um, intervals, you know, for a couple of weeks yep. or something during during that time. Um, and when I when I spoke with him, I said, you know, I, you know, what I'd really like is I'd like to figure out just why this has happened. And 
love some of your cancer cells, but you haven't got any. So, you know, which is great. Yeah, which is great, but we just managed to do this. And, and, you know, we had no idea, you know, quite what was going on and, and how long that remission would, would hold for. And unfortunately, um, two and a half years later, um, he relapsed and, um, but at that point, you know, he said, you know, how you wanted some cancer cells. Well, you know, I have some. Yeah, I've got some again. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to know that. <laughs> but, so, he um, but, he, but he pushed through and, and sent us a sample and um, of his bone marrow, which um, we, you know, we have one sample and I'm like, well, we need to think about what we do with this one. Very um, we need to have a really good plan. and. And we managed to get a bit of funding from the, our local bone marrow cancer research trust for a project. And they like, have you got a good project? And I'm like, I do actually have a really good project. Um, so, um, so I put a, a young postdoc um, onto that who um, has been absolutely marvelous. And together, and together with the clinicians in Auckland. We tracked down the rest of Anton's samples that were in the Auckland Clinic and ran the DNA analyses, the genetic analysis on his cancer and discovered that he had um, not one but two mutations that involved a requirement for TET2 activity. Right. And so both of the clones, so myeloid leukemia is a clonal disease, you can have a clone one clone can have one mutation, another clone can have another mutation. Both had two clones, each one with a mutation that required TET2 activity or affected TET2 activity. Both of those clones were wiped out by the vitamin C. Wow. So that kept them alive. Yes, yes. But what we discovered was that it didn't wipe out the cells completely um, because that one of the clones came back. Um, Was that because he stopped the vitamin C? Um, Like if he Well, what we discovered was that when it came back, that clone had acquired additional mutations, so as they do um, often. And so um, cancers do that. You know, they continue to become more and more aberrant as the cancer continues. So the original mutation was still there, but... um, but so were additional mutations. And so the second time around, um, the vitamin C treatment worked a little bit, kind of, you know, it's like it seemed like it was trying to work. You know, he went and had more chemotherapy and then um, that didn't work. He got sent home again with weeks to live and he went back onto the vitamin C and got better but the blast cell count never came down to zero again. So, so basically the cancer was stronger the, the second cancer, time with yeah. more aberrant um, yeah. mutations. Yeah. yeah, but he wow. did, you know, he did, he did 
said, I don't know what's going on, but my golf has got really good. <laughs> so something was big. So that, that, that brings in the quality of life because that's proven, isn't it? That the chemo, uh, if you're having to have chemotherapy um, and having vitamin C can be very beneficial for quality of life, you know, less fatigue, less uh, nausea, you know, all of those sorts of horrible things that happen to poor chemo patients um, yeah. can be. Well, it is, um, you know, that, that's um, that, that that's a story we believe of just replenishing the the depleted supply in your body. So basically, you know, you're giving your body this this toxic these toxic cocktails. You're expecting your body to function and and respond, and it, and at the same time, it's running out of a vital nutrient. And so, if you if you can restore that then your fatigue levels, you know, so one of the things that vitamin C does is it supports the the promotion of of um, energy. So uh-huh. so it right. like makes adrenaline, you know. So oh, wow. Absolutely key to making adrenaline, to making molecules that support energy production wow. and energy metabolism. And so, you know, if you're starting to run low in those things at the same time as you're undergoing the chemotherapy, what can be written off as a side effect of the chemotherapy can be uh, can be alleviated ah. if you you know if you if you can um, restore some of those some of those normal functions. So um, a lot of the kind of brain fog things, your ability to concentrate, mood things, um, pain, um, and nausea and fatigue. You know, a, a lot of the measures. Um, improve. Wow. So that's uh, that alone is a reason to be considering a, that. Yeah, I, yeah that, you know, it's a very important consideration. Absolutely. You know, Quality so, of life. Is, and it absolutely, as far as we can tell, does not interfere with any other chem, um, cancer treatments. So, yeah. because that's the other worry that people have yes. and doctors have that, you know, I don't know because it might interfere with the treatment I'm trying to give you for your cancer. And this is a problem when, when, when people go to their oncologist, their local oncologist, they're liable to be saying, don't do vitamin C. And um, so it's getting this, this is why this information is so key, to be able to share that, you know. Well, we need, well, well, well that's why we're trying to do the research. Yes. So you've um, got the proof. <laughs> because, um, because, you know, doctors have their patients' best interests at heart. And and they worry. They worry when when patients come in and say, you know, should I? Can I take this? Can I take that? And they're doing, you know, they're throwing everything they can at, at the cancer, and they worry that that something else that you that you're that doing they don't know about. might yeah. might work against that. And so they'll always play cautious. Yeah, and um, and rightly so. Because you know we want our doctors to be working from evidence, from an evidence base, and currently we don't have those answers yet that we where we can absolutely say, you know, I mean this is why, you know, this is why we're working so hard to try and identify the causes and how vitamin C is working, so that then we can give, you know, that information to the clinicians who can then put that together with their patient information and say. Well, for you on this drug, this would be fine yeah. to do that. 
you know, and in fact, it will help with this and this and this. Yeah. So, or under these circumstances, now I'd rather you didn't do that until you've got this out of the way or, you know, whatever. So we can manage, um, you know, that advice and tell patients, you know, give patients an idea as to what they can expect, you know, so so like with the hematological patients, you know, so we starting to identify what what genetic subgroups of the cancer might respond. So then you might be able to say, <clears throat> you know, to your to a cancer patient, looks like you've got this mutation. This is very likely to be helpful for you. Yeah. So or it looks like you don't have this mutation. It's unlikely that it's going to help you. You can try, but it's unlikely. So you know, so we can be a little bit more more nuanced and real. Your, yeah. Well, you know, um, yeah. real with with the uh, rather than you know just a kind of blanket response. The, the hard thing is is that you know, when people are in dire straits, um, you haven't got the luxury of waiting, uh, you know, another ten years perhaps until the, right. the research is done, and so you're in this catch twenty two type yeah. situation, and you have to, as a as a patient or you, as uh, you know, looking after a loved one, sometimes make calls on on the direction that you're going to go based to yeah. the best that you have knowledge without actually yeah having having 100% proof um and this is you know this is a, an argument that nobody can really win because i mean it's it's a really tough situation and you know i certainly was in that with my dad and and, and with my mum's story as well yeah. um and it, I, so i i understand the frustration of people like they're going but it, you know, with Anton, for example, he obviously went and got the intravenous vitamin C prior to it being proven to help, and yes, it obviously gave right. him a few more yes, years. That's right. Time. That's right. And 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 at the moment, we're at the point where we're learning a lot from patients like that. Yeah, that are um, taking you know, the, if he hadn't the done risk. that. Yep. You know, if he hadn't done that, no one would have done it. Yeah. And brave, <laughs> brave. And we wouldn't. And we wouldn't know. What, what we know now and we're learning from other patients um, like that as well so um, it's the anecdotal but it versus is, the evidence but it, and, and, <laughs> and so there is you know and so there is an anecdotal um, evidence what I say to people and I often get asked by um, cancer patients you know should I do this or not the one the things that that we're learning and we've learned you know we have we are moving the story forward. Mm. Um, the things that, that that we've learned, even from Anton's case, is that vitamin C is not probably not going to kill your cancer. Yeah. So in his case, even where he went into complete remission, the vitamin C was controlling his cancer. It wasn't, it didn't eliminate it. So that knowledge is gold. Yep. Actually. Yep. And because that gives us an insight into how we might manage that in the clinic. Yep. If we were going if we were going to do this in a clinic. We would we would know that if we're seeing a response from from a cancer patient, we're seeing a good response to vitamin C, that's an opportunity. Yep. And, and it gives you more buys you more time. It, it, it buys you more time, but yep. you, but it can give us insights into how we might work that in with other treatments. Yep. Um, 
and, so that you can beat and it. And so that information is gold. Um, the one thing that, you know, I, I mean, I can understand entirely how, um, you know, any individual cancer patient is like, well, I need the answer now, you know. I have this in my own life, you know, with um, my husband. You know, I'm not waiting for the research anymore. Exactly. <laughs> I can't wait for that, you know. Exactly. We need an answer now because, yes. um, you know, and and so, you know, suddenly my priorities then can then change. I'm not, you know, I'm Absolutely. not the researcher now. I'm, I'm now, I'm now on the patient side and, you know, I want to. You know, we want we want an answer now. Yeah. But and so as far as you know, the vitamin C treatment goes, you know, I often think, well, what would I do? You know, mm. myself. And I think from what we know now, knowing that you know, we know there will be a quality of life benefit, almost certainly. Um, and that in itself would be worth reasons aiming for, right? Yeah. So yeah. just to just to alleviate, you know, as many of the horrible, you know, effects, Side of effects. the treatments and, yep. and the disease itself. Um, secondly, is, is that if what we know is that if you were going to see a benefit from vitamin C infusions in cancer, you would see it quite quickly. Mm -hmm. So this is not something that would take months and months to manifest. So... If it were doing something, you would notice something quite, quite soon. I mean, Anton's case is, you know, quite remarkable. Yeah. But in, but in, in, in a case with a cancer like that, within two weeks, he was better. Wow. From nearly dead, you know, from, from nearly dead to better. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. to, you know, a, a month later, you know, he had a bone marrow biopsy taken. And he was back to normal. Wow. You know? So so if it's going to work, and I think even with a solid tumour, if it were having a beneficial effect, you would know quite quickly. So it's worth um, doing. You know, so so if you wanted, you know, to try, um, then you're free to try, but you have to pay to try. Yeah. You, to, you have to find a doctor so, who will do it. So, yeah. It, yeah. So it is, um, you know, and 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 there are good there are good people, you know, around who who, um, but it's an unproven treatment. Yeah, and that's what you're working on. And so definitely. you know, so we're trying to move, you know, to move that story forward. Um, it's inordinately slow. Um, yep. And it's a shame that the, the, the arguments or, you know, the problems, the controversy that was surrounded, the original research, if you like, has coloured some of the reactions that yes. you get now. You get this polarising effect that hopefully, you know, reason will, you know, calm things down eventually and we can just talk about the scientific evidence, the evidence, yes. the evidence, the evidence. <laughs> and then perhaps we can, you know, like just bring it back down to a non-emotional level. Because, I mean, as a loved one who's just lost somebody because, I, you know, well, I believe, you know, we could have had a chance um, to get him back, my dad back, if we had had access to vitamin C from day one um, mm. and not day 14. Um, it, it's hard not to be emotional about that. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And it, and, it yeah. is. And, and, um, and I can understand that entirely and and it is um 
And this is why we're not giving up. Yes, but, that is why it's so uh, important. The science um, is so important. But it is, um, it, you know, the, the, the controversy around this is what it is. And, mm. you know, I have, you know, pon- you know, tried very hard to walk a line between, <laughs> between that where um, so we're not drawn by either side. And and so, you know, my argument is always, well, what 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 do we actually know and what have we actually measured? Yeah. And um, and that's where you have, like, because you're a scientist. And, 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 let's just, and let's just stay with that because, yeah. um, because you know, we can, we can, that, you know, I thought that's what I trained to do, actually. Yeah. So, so that's what I should do. So... So we do, um, you know, the, the narrative is is being influenced. I think the discovery of the new enzyme activities is helping a lot because people are starting to see how it might work, and just showing how it's working is um, very key to getting people to accept absolutely just what just what they need to do. So. You know, little by little. Little um, by little we'll get there. <laughs> little, by, little by little. I hope I live long enough. <laughs> exactly. Hopefully we all live long enough yeah. not to. Yeah. And um, in the meantime, we can make our own um, educated. And this is what, what you know, like you, you're coming from a scientific background. I'm coming from a, uh, you know, an anecdotal background or a background of I have to make decisions, life and death decisions for my loved ones. Um, I'm going to take certain risks because the alternative is, you know, not a good one. Um, yeah. And so I think, you know, both uh, we, you know, as a, as a loved one of a patient, I desperately need that research to be done. I want that hurried up. <laughs> and we all want that. We want the results. Meanwhile... Yeah, I, mean, too. I wanted to hurry up too. Yes, yeah. And meanwhile, I'm going to make some educated decisions myself on what I do for me and yeah. for my family. And I think that's the best approach that we can do because yeah. we, we can't always wait until, um, you know, when we haven't got the timeline, you know, when we've no. got somebody who's sick. And so we have yeah. to make those educated decisions ourselves and then live with the consequences. Yeah. Um, but I, what I, I think is important that was that we have – you know, informed consent and informed discussions around these things and that we try to take the emotions out of the, the whole thing. And actually, instead of, um, you know, when I, at the hospital, I was sort of shut down because you're not a doctor and you don't know anything. And that's not true, you no, know. True. Um, and there was no willingness to even look at the clinical studies that mm. I presented that mm. that were coming from my doctor friends um, who are supporting me on the outside to, to try to present this on the inside of the hospital, if you like. And um, it, it came down to legal arguments more yeah. than anything else. And and that's frustrating to think that perhaps you lost somebody because of a, a legal situation, you know, yeah. um, and, you know, yeah. the work that um, Dr. Uh, Marek has done in this area and Dr. Barry Fowler, who's coming on the show next week, um, is, you know, really, really exciting for me. It's just yeah. super exciting. Yeah, um, well, those two clinicians have some very compelling stories to tell. Exactly. Um, dropping and, in mortality um, rates. And so, um, <laughs> but it is, 
I do. I do understand. Um, yes, I understand in, entirely that um, you know. I sit here in my office, just above our ambulance bay. You know, watching. You know, and above the ICU ward, and um, seeing. Uh, yeah, seeing it, people struggle every day. Um, it, you know, it's thinking. You know what? You know, what, there are things we could be doing better, and. And it is about, you know, it is about getting those conversations going. Yeah. Uh, so far, you know, so far I think we're getting good traction in, in New Zealand with getting with with the conversations. So um, oh, but, I think it's it's but great. It's in, but it's, you know, it is um, extremely slow. It is extremely slow. But then you and, and I've uh, talked to Dr. Nitra Carr and looked at her stuff as well. And that's exciting that we are making progress. Yeah. And, you know, so I just want to, you know, um, we've covered a lot of ground today and we've, we've, we've really gone through all sorts of places, but I just want to thank you for your sacrifice because I know like this is a huge amount of work. This is your life's work basically. And I don't know if everybody's always recognized for what they, the, the contribution they're actually making to humanity. And I think what you're doing is just absolutely wonderful. So thank you because it is going no, no. to save lives. It is, no. it, it has already saved lives. So, well, you know, well, well, I, well, I don't know that, that, that I have, but, um, but, um, but it is, you know, there is a, um, we have some wonderful colleagues globally as well. And, um, and you know, and and so there is a network of people who yeah. do um, support each other um, on this, and some very good people, you know, doing doing excellent Absolutely. work in, in a lot of places. So you know, like you quoted Mark Levine's, you know, work. Mm. You know what that man has done is extraordinary. Um, in terms, he has provided you know the best information. Um, that we've ever had on vitamin C. Wow. Um, yep. You know, with um, he has his own interesting story to tell about, you know, how his colleagues treated him. Yeah, and this <laughs> um, is sad. <laughs> um, so, so, um, but you know, they they some wonderful work um, has been done, and you know, eventually people will just see. Actually, this is just I just keep saying. This is just a thing that we need to eat, you know. It's a vitamin that we need for, for in order to keep our bodies functioning, just like we need food and we need to breathe and we need water to drink. And, you know, we don't argue with those things. But, exactly. Um, you know, so this is just one of those things, you know, and we need to figure out how we do it best. Yep. How do we do this best um, and under what circumstances? So, you know, Let's do it. so I do try all the time to take the emotion out of it. Um, yes, you're very good at that. And well, you know, you know, it's um, I think it's the only way forward, and and to give people the best information so they can make the you know so they can make the right choices so our clinicians can be making informed choices um, that they know is, is for the benefit of their patients. Yeah. Um, because um, you know our clinical people, they're at the coalface, um, and and they you know they're having to make life and choice decisions for their patients all the time, and so yeah. they 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 have you know high degree of caution around that, and that's what we want from them. So we pr need to provide them 
with the best information that we can get for them to make those clinical judgments. So I think that's a, a perfect place to wrap it up. Professor Margaret Visits, you've been absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for the work that you and your team are doing. Um, please continue. <laughs> and if there are any rich people out there listening, please um, fund this research. Continue to fund this research because uh, it's very, very important work um, and we desperately need it. So thank you for your time today. No, 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 no it's my pleasure. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.